Hello, hello. Good evening. You guys look good. If you have your Bible, will you grab it and turn with me to the book of Acts, uh, specifically in chapter 8. And it'll be a minute before we get there, uh, but we will get there. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, Chase already introduced me, but I'm going to reintroduce myself. My name is Tate Madzima, and I serve here as the Minister of Children and Families, and I am so glad and excited to be uh, coming from the Word in front of you and celebrating the Lord's Supper together tonight. The title of my sermon is up on these boards right here. It is The Gospel to the Ends of the Earth. And if you've read this passage in Acts chapter 8, you will know that at the back end of Acts chapter 8, there is an encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And, you know, Ethiopia in Africa, continent right next to, well, not next to us, but next to us where I grew up. So I know you probably have some questions, and I'm going to answer them right away. No, Pastor Chase and Pastor Ryan did not pick the text about the African in Black History Month for me to preach, okay? I did that myself, so you can save your emails to Pastor Chase and Pastor Ryan. I, I, I chose it. I wanted to preach this text. And there's a few reasons why I wanted to preach this text. Like I mentioned, it's the end of Black History Month. And in our nation, we celebrate Black History Month in February to remember the role of African Americans and celebrate their achievements and as a church, we often pray, uh, our prayer is often for diversity, that we would recognize that God created a diverse world with peoples from many nations, many colors, many tribes. And so uh, as we grow in our diversity as a body, I just wanted to be able to preach a text that showed this diversity where the gospel went out to all the nations. And it's a wonderful illustration of God's desire for the nations to be saved. And another reason is... As Pastor Chase already talked about, contact evangelism, uh, our emphasis this year with two in 22, I just wanted us to be encouraged, right? I wanted us to take this opportunity to commend us towards sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our families, and even with perfect strangers. The gospel's transforming power is not for us to hide. Like the song says, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. So we want to let it shine. We want the gospel to shine in all of Albuquerque, but also to the ends of the earth. And really the final reason which excites me the most is there is really not, well, there might be a couple others, but there's not a lot of other texts in scripture that resonate with who I am as much as this text does. An African traveling through the desert. That's me in New Mexico. Okay. <laughs> Listen, a gospel minister led by the Lord to an unknown location in the desert. Again, me in New Mexico. Okay? And the final thing is a gospel minister whisked away by the Holy Spirit. Man, that's apparating and disapparating from Harry Potter. And if you know anything about me, that is my liter literary jam. I love that book. So it, the text kind of picked me because of all these things. So with all that being said, uh, let's read together from... Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. 
he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out from the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let us pray. Mighty God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open our eyes, that we may see wonderful things from your law. Lord, as we embark on this journey together through this text, Lord, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase, Lord, that the words that I would say would be edifying and encouraging and words from you, Lord. And as we consider uh, the gospel going to the nations, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged to know that the work of the gospel is not yet done. There are nations to be reached. There are people that need to hear your word spoken. And Lord, that you would compel some of us, even in this room, to go to the ends of the earth to preach that gospel. And Lord, even as we think about the gospel to the ends of the earth, we think about uh, Ukraine right now. Lord, our brothers and sisters there uh, on the precipice of maybe a war, Lord, and we just pray that you would protect them, that uh, they are probably gripped with fear, but Lord, they know that you are sovereign over them, that even if they lose some of their freedoms of being able to worship you, Lord, they do not lose you. So we pray for them. We pray that peace would come upon that region, Lord, that there would be no necessity to go to war. And we pray, Lord, that you would use them to take the gospel as well to the ends of the earth. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we haven't been in the book of Acts for a while, so I want to give you kind of a brief orientation on what this book is about. The whole theme of the book of Acts is the advancement of the gospel by the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's Luke's sequel, continuing what Jesus began. And as the book opens in the first chapter with Jesus ascending, he gives instructions to his followers to boldly go and share after they receive power from the Holy Spirit. That's the central action of the whole book of Acts. The apostles, they open their mouths. People receive what they're saying. People believe what they're saying. People are baptized and people are welcomed into God's family. It's a pattern that Luke establishes over and over again, and he goes to great lengths to establish this for his audience. So as we get to Acts chapter 8, Philip is doing work. At the beginning of the chapter, it recounts the apostle, the believers being scattered out of Jerusalem because a great persecution has arisen in Jerusalem. And Philip is in Samaria, and he's continuing to preach the gospel. Now, if you remember, in Acts chapter 7, the chapter before this, 
One of Philip's fellow deacons, Stephen, was martyred. He was stoned to death for preaching the gospel. But this doesn't deter Philip. He goes to Samaria. He's preaching the gospel. He's been sharing. He's been performing signs and wonders. And people are being saved. People are being baptized. And people are being welcomed in. So as we get to verse 26, it says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise up and go south toward the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, Do you understand what you're reading? So our first point tonight is a call to obedience. At the beginning of this chapter, we see Philip walk in obedience. Luke's retelling of Jesus' ascension in the first chapter shows us what Jesus instructed his apostles, where he entrusted them to go, what he told them to say. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it takes the apostles a while to move out of Jerusalem. I think they're comfortable. I don't know. But it finally happens. And Philip is being pushed out. And as he's pushed out, he's in obedience to the instruction and operating in Samaria. And he is being a witness. And from the looks of it, if you read the beginning of Acts chapter 8, he's being a very successful witness. People are hearing him. They are responding. They're believing. They're being baptized. They're being welcomed in. And we see an angel enter the scene, and Philip gets another opportunity to obey. And he does. There's no hesitation on his part. He doesn't think twice about it. Two times in the next five verses, we see Philip instructed, and Philip immediately obey. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm always prone to put myself in the shoes of the person being talked about in the Bible. And I think, yeah, if an angel comes to me, I'm doing it. Right? They're saying it to me. I'm going, I'm going to go do it. But honestly, that just minimizes Philip's response. Because as we read the word, we see many examples where angels appear or God speaks to his people and they don't obey. We see it in Luke chapter 1 with Zechariah. He disbelieves and becomes mute. Or we see it in the book of Jonah where Jonah tries to run the opposite way of where the Lord is leading him. And we see it with Moses. Moses tries to argue with God. But Philip's respond, response to this is different, and it is commendable. It's the way of obedience that those of us that are children of God are called to and should aspire to. He's obedient to the call right away, and he trusts in the prompting. There's no blueprint for him. There's no explanation. The angel doesn't give him a why. The why doesn't actually matter to Philip at this moment, and it should be the same for us as believers. It's not conditional to his obedience, and it's not conditional to our obedience. And over the last few weeks in DSC Kids on Sunday mornings, we've been talking about this word obedience. You see, there's a natural progression toward obedience to those who know God. And I'm not talking about just having a cognitive knowledge of God. I'm talking about those that have a relational knowledge of God. Because when you have a relational knowledge of God, when you are in relationship with him, you cannot help but to love him. And when you love God, when you know God and when you love God, you trust him wholeheartedly. Right? You have confidence that what the Bible says about God is true. 
So when you know God and you love God and you trust God, then that leads to obedience because obedience is knowing, trusting, and loving that God will do what he says he will do, right? So this is who Philip is. He knows God, he obeys God, and he trusts God. And on that road in the middle of seemingly nowhere, in a desert place of no renown, there's a man in a chariot. And the text tells us a lot about this man. He is an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. He is a high-ranking officer in the queen's court. He's going back to Ethiopia after coming to Jerusalem to worship. And he's got his hands on a scroll that he's reading. Now, that's a vivid picture of who this man is. And it also gives us uh, a really specific idea of what this encounter signifies. First of all, he's an Ethiopian, which is to say that this man is a foreigner. So during this time, in the first century, Ethiopia was considered any land that was under Egypt, and many considered it the ends of the earth. So Philip has been lifted from operating in Samaria and is obeying what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and is now taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. His obedience is prompting him, his obedience and prompting from the angel puts him in position to exemplify obedience to Jesus. This is going to be an entirely new ethnic group that's going to hear the gospel, and Philip gets to be the first one to preach it to them. That's awesome. Philip gets to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. The second thing about this man is he's a eunuch. And what that means is that he is physically and deliberately unable to bear children. And being a eunuch has major implications for this man's worship. In the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 23, there's, there's some temple codes in there. And in the first verse, it tells us that those that were eunuchs were denied access to the assembly. They were not able to assemble with everyone to worship the Lord. He's limited in how he can engage in temple worship. When he reached Jerusalem, the only place that he could go to the temple was in the outer court. Just imagine that. It's a five-month journey for him at this time. There's no planes, so he's in his chariot for five months, all the way up from Africa to Jerusalem, only to be able to sit in the parking lot. That's what he's doing. It reminds me of the 1983 cinematic masterpiece, National Lampoon's Vacation. <laughs> now, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, but also it's 40 years old, so I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. But in that movie, the quintessential American father figure, Clark Griswold, is just, he has this desire to take his family from the suburbs of Chicago to the greatest place on earth, America's favorite playground, Wally World, and they embark on this journey. Now, if you've seen this movie, you know that this journey did not go well. They get hubcaps stolen in St. Louis, they lose a dog, they lose Aunt Edna, and all of these things are like super discouraging. But you know what, Clark, or, Clark has, has this thing in his mind that we're gonna get there and it's gonna be awesome. And they trek along, they go on this grueling journey, and after all this time, after all this anticipation, they arrive in L.A., right? He's determined, his devotion has caused them to get there undeterred by all the misfortune. And there's Wally World in all its glory right in front of them. They're, they made it. They're here. 
only to discover that the park is closed for two weeks. <laughs> Man, all that hard work, that discomfort, that anticipation coming to nothing. And when I read this section, I wonder if the eunuch knew about that before he set out from Jerusalem. If he knew that he wasn't going to be able to engage in temple worship, that he was going to have to stay in the outer court. Because once he arrived, he would have found that out. But here's the thing. Even with that deterrent, his devotion to worship the Lord was not uh, cut out. It didn't disappear. Because on the way back from only being able to sit in the outer court to only being able to sit in the parking lot, he's still reading the word of the Lord. And he's still devouring it. And the third thing about him is that he's a high-ranking officer. And he's reading from a scroll. So what this detail tells us is that he's a man of importance where he's coming from. And he's a man of great means. I mean, only people that have a lot of money can take five months off work to go sit in the parking lot, right? So we, we find that out about him. And he has his own scroll, which we're in 2022, so we don't, we, don't, we don't have a context for this. But it was very expensive to have your own copy of the word of the Lord. He probably most likely only had a fragment that he could read. What this shows us about the God-fearing Ethiopian is that worship to God for him was a huge priority. It was of great value and of great importance for him to follow God. He was eager to know God. He was eager enough to endure a long trip. He was eager enough to own and read his own scroll. But even in all that eagerness, we see here that even with all that desire, there's still a barrier that confronted him. He didn't understand what he was reading. So we get here to verse 31, and our second point being a gospel explanation. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. What the Ethiopian doesn't understand even in all his eagerness and his devotion and desire to worship the Lord is the main thing that he needs to understand. The whom is the key. It's of first importance. And for Philip, this must have been like taking candy from a baby. I mean, let, honestly, this, this is what we all dream of when we're sharing the gospel, right? With a stranger, we walk up to them and they're like, hey, tell me about Jesus. I want to know about him. I don't understand. I'm just reading this. I don't understand how this works. Tell me about him. Brothers and sisters, Philip's obedience to the angel, to the Holy Spirit, his response to the prompting of the Spirit has led him right here. He listened to the angel. He ran up to the chariot. He was in position. Now, I don't want to misapply this to mean that any time that we listen to the Lord, obey the Lord, and go share the gospel, we're going to be teed up for a home run? That's not the case. The encouragement that we can take from this is the broader idea that God is sovereign 
and God is providential. This is a providential appointment. There's no coincidences with God. There's no karma. There's no luck. This is a providential appointment. God divinely orchestrates this. It's God who orchestrates all of this for Philip, and Philip's obedience puts him in a position to share the gospel. Now for us, the question I have is, do we recognize these moments of God's sovereign providence in our own lives? Are we cognizant of the leading of the Holy Spirit? You know, because for most of us, it's not going to be an angel at the foot of our bed beckoning us to go talk to someone. Or the audible voice of the Lord. But here's the truth. That same Holy Spirit that was living and active in the life of Philip is living and active in us. Our hearts may be deceitful and the desire, our desires of our flesh are against the desires of the Spirit. And we should recognize that in those moments when there's that little voice that's urging us to open our mouth and share the gospel, that is the desire of the Spirit. When we feel that desire to uh, start a conversation about who the Lord is with an acquaintance or with a neighbor or with a coworker or with a perfect stranger, that desire is born of the Spirit. Friends, I want us to recognize that. I want us to walk in that. I want us to seize that moment. And I pray that we would do that more and more, that we would boldly seize those moments more often than we do now. I know I don't seize them as often as I probably should and probably can. But Philip, he's about to do just that. He's obeyed, and now he's going to seize the moment. He takes the bait, and he runs with it. Sprints headlong into explanation. He opened his mouth. He expounds on the scripture, and he explained to the Ethiopian what he was reading. It was about Jesus, the suffering servant whose suffering was a ransom for many. Jesus gave up his heavenly dwelling. He emptied himself for us, taking the form of a servant. You see, we're all sinners sick with sin. Our sin separates us from a loving creator God. And the only way that we can be reconciled to God is by the blood of Jesus. Jesus living a sinless and perfect life and taking our punishment as his own. Jesus suffered in silence. He endured punishment for a sin he did not commit. He was innocent, but he bore our guilt. See, the Ethiopian knew there was a God. He had a cognitive understanding and maybe even wanted more devotion, but he didn't know the best thing about this God. And now this best thing about this God was being made plain to him, right? That this God sent his son to suffer, to be slaughtered, to be denied justice, all for the sake of the Ethiopian and all for the sake of us. That's what this is all about. In our weakness, at our worst, when we have nothing to bring to the table, Jesus offered himself up. And brothers and sisters, if you're in here tonight and you don't believe this, please grab the person that invited you or one of us will be standing up here at the front at the end of service and we would love to talk to you about Jesus. We would love to talk to you about how he came to save you as, as he came to save us, right? And it's a message of the gospel that we get to take to everyone. It's a message that Jesus wants us to take to the ends of the earth. 
And I just prayed that we would do so. Like I said in my prayer, I pray that there's some in this room tonight that maybe haven't considered that, but would consider taking the gospel to the nations. That we would respond to this call and have a desire to make disciples of all nations. And so he's presented the gospel. He's told them all about this. He's explained the question that the eunuch had. So we get to our third point, which is a gospel affirmation. And here we read, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded his chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. See, here again, we see the good providence of God towards Philip and the Ethiopian. Now, some of you, as you read that section, I just want to address this real quick. You saw that there was a missing verse. Uh, and that's not a mistake in your Bible. That's on purpose. Uh, according to the earliest manuscripts that we have of the New Testament, verse 37 is, wasn't part of it. So it's skipped in most Bibles. There are Bibles that do have it. If you have more questions about that, ask Pastor Chase. <laughs> he will be able to explain it to you. But I didn't want to breeze by that because I know some of you are looking at it and going, he missed a verse. Uh, it's, it's not in there. Okay. But we, we're seeing the providence of God toward Philip toward the Ethiopian. They're in the desert. And they're in that desert place. They come across a body of water that they can enter for baptism. Now, we are a Baptist church. And if you didn't know that, surprise, welcome. <laughs> uh, but we are. And we love baptism. Right? We love to commemorate Jesus' burial and triumphal Resurrection, it's a marker of re regeneration that someone believes the good news that Jesus died for them. And the Ethiopian, he's expressing that right here to Philip. That he has come to believe this gospel. Some people will look at this event in Acts chapter 8 as an example of why we should do spontaneous baptisms or why spontaneous baptisms are good. But I think something else is going on right here. I think something more compelling is going on. You see, our Ethiopian worshiper would have been denied full initiation into Judaism. Even with all his enthusiasm, all his eagerness to worship the Lord, his use of all of his means towards the worship of the Lord, he was unable to fully enter into Judaism because he was unable to be circumcised. His physical condition didn't allow that to happen, and without that, he wouldn't have been fully initiated. But here's what's awesome. Because of Jesus, he's fully accepted. He's fully adopted. He is fully a follower of Christ. Every barrier in his relationship to God is gone. The inner court is now accessible for him. He is fully welcomed in. See, we go back to our model American father figure, Clark, right? At the end of the movie, you know, they're disappointed, but the most awesome thing ha happens. The owner of Wally World comes and invites them in, and they get backstage passes, all access passes, ride whatever rides they want. They get a tour from the guy that owns the whole thing. And that's like our Ethiopian right here. He's got an all access pass 
Before, he could only sit in the parking lot, and now he can go into the Holy of Holies because of Jesus. He's no longer stuck out there, but he's invited in, and he's given full access to anything and everything. See, for a man that had only so far been able to experience partial benefits to the worship of the Lord, this news that he was fully accepted is unbelievable. Just think about how you might have felt if you were him. Think about how you feel now. Because in many ways, really in every way, we are like him. Because of sin, we were restricted. Because of sin, we could only stay in the outer court, in the parking lot. But because of Jesus, we have an all-access pass. So this baptism not only represents uh, the repeating of the pattern of people hearing, responding, believing, and being welcomed in that Luke has been trying to display, but it also represents that Jesus is welcoming in the foreigner, that the gospel to the ends of the earth is going to add to God's family, that God's family continues to grow, and that we all, because of Jesus, get an all-access pass, and we are all welcomed in. So as we get to the end of this passage, our final point for the evening is a gospel advancement. So here we read, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So poof, he's gone. Exactly like Harry Potter. You can't tell me it's not like Harry Potter. <laughs> My jaw would still be on the ground probably if I had been a witness of this. See, the encounter with Philip left the Ethiopian forever changed. He went on his way rejoicing. He had been given a new joy, a new lease on life, a new outlook. And he took that with him back to Africa. Now, we don't hear any more about him in the rest of the New Testament. But what we know in church history is that Christianity took root in Africa in the first century. Augustine, Athanasius, Cyprian, my father, Kennedy Madzima, and me. All recipients of the gospel in Africa on the heels of this Ethiopian eunuch. Something fascinating just happened in these few verses. You see, the door that had been closed has been kicked wide open. Up until this point, the message of the creator God, the all-knowing, all-powerful, loving God, was only reserved for one nation. But now, that outer court has been traded for the Holy of Holies. Everyone is included in because of Christ. And so as we come to an end tonight, we're just reminded that the gospel has no limits. The gospel has no boundaries. It is the good news for everyone, everywhere. It's good news for me, an African immigrant in the desert of New Mexico, it's good news for you. 
It is wonderful news that we are compared, compelled to share as we go, where we go, and when we go. That that same Holy Spirit that prompted Philip, that same Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us, he empowers us to speak. He empowers us to open our mouths and to testify about Jesus. This suffering servant was led to the slaughter. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed as a ransom for our sin. And in silence, he took the punishment that we deserved. This is Jesus. This is who he is. And because of this Jesus, everyone to the ends of the earth is welcomed in. Let's pray. Mighty God, we thank you for just your orchestrating power. That in your sovereignty, in your providence, we are welcomed in. Lord, that some of us heard the gospel as young children from our parents, and some of us had people stop us on the street to tell us the gospel. But Lord, in so many ways and in so uh, many methods and so many modes, Lord, that you orchestrated it because you wanted to bring us in to your family. And I pray, Father, that we would be encouraged, Lord, that you met us. And it wasn't anything that we had to do. It wasn't anything that we uh, could conjure up for ourselves, Lord. It was you and your goodness. And so, mighty Father, I pray that that encouragement would propel us, compel us to boldly share. That we would take this good news and not hide it, but let it shine to our friends, to our neighbors, to our acquaintances, to those people that we have written on our bookmark, Lord, that you would allow us to go boldly in front of them and tell them about who Jesus is, the suffering servant whose body was broken for us, whose blood was shed for, that, for us so that we would be welcomed in. And Lord, as we turn to celebrate that tonight, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to uh, sanctify us, Lord, to draw us closer to you. May you make us more and more like you as we worship you. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.